Ha <laughs> ha! That's a hilarious joke, Adam. Oh, hi, listeners. It's Drew. This intro bit is uh, being retrofitted for a little uh, little announcement for you. This week, uh, my audio files got pretty messed up, and as a result, um, this 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 episode might sound a little off. Uh, wanted to be honest and open about it, so letting you know now. Uh, still plenty of good Half-Life content in there for those looking. Um, but if you're listening and thinking, huh, Drew's a little quiet for some reason, there you go. With that said, enjoy the show. Have a great day. Hello, strangers on the internet, silently cruising down the highway without a care in the world. Welcome to Nitwick, the podcast about friends and video games. This week on our month of shooters, we talk about Half-Life, Valve's unfinished masterpiece. What did it do? How do we remember it? How many terrible Half-Life 3 jokes can we make before breaking into tears? Hi, my name's Drew Fasciano, and a fun fact about myself, if I had a gravity gun, I would just spend my days picking up random objects, maybe bricks, maybe toilets, and just shooting them in the air, and catching them, and shooting them in the air, and catching them, and shooting them in the air, and catching them forevermore. Well, as long as you're not hurting yourself while playing with a gravity gun. Uh, My name is Adam, um, and fun fact, if I had a gravity gun, I guess I would see if I could make it, like, I could start, like, lifting things and just kind of riding it around to kind of get, like, flight going. Like, Ooh. you'd stand on a sheet of metal or something, you pull the gravity gun up, and it would pull you up kind of thing. you just kind of, like, mm. float around. I don't know exactly the mechanics of how the Half-Life gravity gun worked, but I would at least try. My name is Zach, and if I had a gravity gun, I'd probably... Well, the first thing I'd do with it was I would take rocks, and I would lob them to see how far I could throw them. How far can I fling a rock with the, with the gravity gun? And then after that was done, I don't know, I'd, like, build a house with it. Well, you know what you could do? is you could build a house, and then you could take that house, and me and Adam could go in the house, and we could just be flicked into the air and live in the sky. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, god damn it! While you guys are up in the air, I think the rest of us have had some weeks. Wait a minute, wait a minute, but if we're in the air, then the rest of us is us, meaning we're still in the air. Oh, shit. <laughs> this has backfired tremendously. Drew, tell us about your week. Oh, well, you know, my week was pretty good. I uh, went home. Uh, it was my dad's birthday, so I celebrated with him, got some good food, hung out with my brother a little bit. It's good family time, you know, just, uh, celebrating, you know, the, the annual thingamabop of my father, as it were. Happy birthday, Papa Drew. Happy birthday, Dad. No, Drew's dad. Drew's dad. I was gonna say Dad's Drew, which would have been a little weird. I don't, I don't think your dad has a Drew, Zach. I don't think he does either question mark yeah question mark <laughs> yeah i i also found some time to watch hellboy 2 uh that is a fun movie yeah hellboy 2 is great i have a giant poster of it in my room damn uh damn my cousin got me the theat- the big theatrical poster that you know they put in the theaters so i have a giant pit poster of hellboy just hanging over my bed uh, I really like Del Toro, and I like his stuff. I just haven't gotten around to seeing Shape of Water yet, uh, but everything I hear about it is really good. Yeah. When is Dukes of Hazzard's crossed Gilmero Del Toro going to happen? I want to see Gilmero oh Del boy. Toro's take on Dukes of Hazzard. I'm not going to lie. I kind of more want Quentin Tarantino's take on it, because they gel a little better. Mm, fair. Uh, my week has been pretty good. Um, let's see. Work has been work. Uh, and then... 
After a long, hard week of work, I met up with some buddies, and we went to go to karaoke. And karaoke was really fun. Um, we went to this place in Cupertino. Um, so I didn't have to drive up to the city, like, you know, because they usually go to the up to SF. I'm like, man, I don't really feel like doing that right now. But it was in Cupertino. It's like, okay, that's easy. Um, we got It was one of the, like, the private room ones where you kind of rent a room and go sing in there. Uh, and it was fun. We got I got to meet a bunch of his buddies, um, and we all had a really good time. Everybody was singing. Uh, there was there was a couple there who, who both were really good at singing, but also did all of like the like super like disgustingly sweet duets together. It's like I'm like ah oh, jeez, this is too much. Like they were both really uh, good, but you're just sitting there like ugh, their their love is too too adorable. I gotta leave. All right. <laughs> um, I will say. Uh, I take a few points off this place for one. Um, their music selection is really weird. Like they just didn't have many of what you would think would be very common songs. Um, and two, the songs they did have, some of them weren't synced up with the lyrics. Like the video, like the song would be playing, but then the the subtitles that you're supposed to be singing off of weren't there. They just or like a minute behind. So I was like, what? I don't know this song that well. Well, cool, man. What you sing? Uh, what I sing? Kind of a bit of everything. Like, it was one of those nights where you think you're going to put up a solo song, but then everybody in the room kind of gets into it, so we all just sing along. Oh, man. That's, um, a, that's, very, that's a very good karaoke night. So, let's see. I did uh, I did Journey, uh, Separate Ways by Journey. That was fun. Um, I did Feel Good Ink. That, that was a good one. Uh, that was one that I was pretty sure people would all just jump in. Um... It was interesting that everybody ju- like dropped out when the when the kind of rap section happened. It's like, guys, no, don't <laughs> don't leave me like this. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, um, and it, just a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, in terms of games, uh, I played a bit more Overwatch with some people. Uh, yes, getting some comp wins in there. Um, on Saturday, I, me and my buddy Jordan got together. We tried out Street Fighter Five Arcade Edition. Ooh. Um, that, that's a really impressive update to a game. So Street Fighter V came out with, I think like 16 or so characters. And it was kind of the idea that, uh, they would have seasons of characters that would come out. Um, when it first came out, kind of the biggest missing portion of that was a real dedicated arcade mode. Uh, and there was this mode called survival, which was take a character and go through a set number of rounds, which is kind of like arcade, but a bunch of fans were, were very much like, you know, there's really not a whole lot of single player content for this game. Uh, and when Street Fighter V came out, it felt very much like the game had to come out when it did to get ready for the competitive scene for it. So the game, when the game first came out, it was very much everything you might want from a competitive standpoint was there, but from a casual perspective, it was missing a lot of stuff. So Arcade Edition adds this really expansive arcade mode. Um, they also added what's called Extra Battle, which are like which are um, preset, I guess, missions where you're fighting specific characters under special conditions, and those get cycled out. They're kind of like weekly or bi-weekly events that happen that you can do to get in-game currency. Um, but 
not not loot boxes, but there's like there's like fight money you can get, and you can buy extra stages or extra characters. Uh, alternatively, you can just buy them with money if you don't want to farm the fight money. But technically, anything you uh, the stages and characters are all free uh, if you want to grind out the fight money, and uh, they're pretty generous with it. Like uh, in arcade edition, in the other one, it was a lot of lumps, like single time lump sums of of fight money. Uh, but this is getting into the nitty gritty of of that mm. game. Um, Overall, it's just, there's a ton of, like, tweaks and polishing on this. There's a bunch of quality of life changes that happened. Um, and it was just, actually, a lot of fun to play. Um, it was kind of like, damn, I really hope Arcade Edition brings a lot of people back, because it is a really good, like, package now. Um, Hmm. uh, I, I bought a, I got Street Fighter V when it came out back in 2016, um, and I played that on and off, and then kind of fell off of that when it was like, you know, I don't really... Just some of the stuff is like, eh, there's really not here. But now that Arcade Edition came out, you know, they have like a new balance patch. Like, all there's a bunch of new characters, new balance patches, and there's a bunch more stuff to do. So I find I'm kind of getting back into it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's good. And man. then, yeah, and the last thing is I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do about Friday. Because Friday is Monster Hunter World and Dragon Ball Fighters. And it's like, fuck. What do I do? <laughs> Well, I'm probably going to buy both, but it's like, what do I play? What do I, what do? I do? God. I'm kind of leaning toward Monster Hunter World, and in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking of, you know, I could take the day off and just go play it all day. Uh, I kind of, uh, I kind of want to. We'll find out next week <laughs> if I actually did, but yeah, that was my week. All right, so uh, I, I played a lot of Overwatch this week. Um, my SR went up by a significant amount, which is pretty cool, um, and I'm, and I guess on the personal front with Overwatch, I am very excited about tuesday because they're going to do a content update patch and just add a whole bunch of new skins and emotes and uh and stickers and things like that to the game Mm -hmm. and it's basically like it's an implied sort of like they're going to even out the roster and give all the people who don't have as many skins catch up skins essentially to match them with other Mm -hmm. people yeah so apparently a ton of skins are going to come out and i'm pretty damn excited for that i think Um, everybody gets like uh, i was gonna say i think everybody gets a new skin um yeah, everyone's going to get at least one skin. Not everybody's going to get a legendary skin. You might get an epic skin, um, but everyone's going to get a new skin. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, uh, I let me tell you something. I've been following the Overwatch League, or OWL, as some people like Owl. to call it. Why OWL? Yeah, because it's O-W-L, Overwatch League. I thought it was the Overwatch um, World League. I Fuck it, who I knows? Know. Who knows? Um, and so, the, so I have been following specifically the San Francisco Shock because they are our local team. Hooray! Um, and so week one, just as a as a refresher, they lost against the Los Angeles Valiant four zero or zero and four, and then they won against the Shanghai Dragons three and one. The Dragons are kind of an easy team. Um, in fact, actually, this week uh, the Dragons and the Florida Mayhem, which is the other bottom tier team, played against each other. And the Mayhem's 4 and owed the Dragons. Like, the Dragons are a hilarious Look at Zach team. talking shit on these pro um, teams. I really am. I'm talking so much shit on the Shanghai Dragons. Uh, but anyway, so this week they played the Philadelphia... Or, sorry, last week they played the Philadelphia Fusion and the Boston Uprising. And and so the SF Shock beat Philly on Game 1, but they lost Games 2 and 3, and then they tied out on game four, which ended the series as a 2-1 to the Philadelphia Fusion. So we lost the first one. Um, and it was a little disappointing. Uh, and then we came into the Boston Uprising match, to which uh, we pulled out a pretty, like, game one, we won. 
Game two, they won. Game three, we won. Game four, they won. And so that normally puts you at a tie, but they tie. Blizzard doesn't like ties at all. Yeah, fuck um, them. And That's so, why it's always casual Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it went to it, it went to a uh, fifth match, uh, sort of the tiebreaker round, wherein the San Francisco Shock beat the Boston Uprising um, on a on a point map two to one, and shit was intense. <laughs> mm. Like I, I was watching it with a friend of mine, and there was another person who was like in a in a chat that we were in, and we were just like intently watching the entire time, going like, "Oh God, are we now, gonna win?" Now, Zach, I'm gonna <laughs> ask you a question. Um, Listening to to you talk about this, it's amazing how much this just sounds like some guys talking about football. Oh, I know. <laughs> makes me begs the question for me: of people have Super Bowl parties, are you gonna have an Overwatch like championship party where like they have the Super Bowl thing, or is that gonna be a thing that like this is this giant shindig gonna happen? I don't know. Will it happen? I think it's. Oh, that's good. I think it's gonna happen. I feel like that's good. Like when is? I'm gonna, let me look this up. When is the fucking? Uh, While Zach uh, looks this up, so Drew, what be... would you name your Overwatch World League uh, team? Remember, you have to put a city mm-hmm. in there. Well, that's tough because San Francisco's taken. San Carlos, I know. How about the Santa Cruz Surfs? Santa Cruz Santa Surfs? Cruz surf. All right, all right. Wait, the Santa Killing. Cruz Surfs or Surf? Um, The Surf, because Surfs is We Are Not Slaves. Right, right. So um, the last league match, like the last... Uh, game of the season is on the 16th of june all right party so exact like if there's gonna be a party like well no that's that's the last of the season there's still the playoffs in the grand oh, finals Jesus. this party's never happening all right what else did you do all right so uh the rest of my week basically so last night i went to a magic the gathering draft basically we bought a box of unstable which is a magic the gathering set that is a silver bordered set which means you cannot play it in legal tournaments um, and they specifically put out the set to a sort of like test their design things. B sort of a kind of like a funny set, like a joke set. And C to do things that Black Border can't do. So basically, to do things that the rules of Magic, which are complex and intricate, that just sort of breaks those rules and just sort of relies a lot more on player intuition. Mm. Um, and let me tell you, I had a real good old fucking time. So um, I in my very first pack. Like, at the very beginning, I pulled this card called the Grand Calculatron. Um, and what it does, it's a, in a normal game of Magic, you hold your hand, you play cards. What the Grand Calculatron does, it says, your hand is now a program. Okay. And so, you lay out all of your cards flat in a line, and you can only play cards from the end of the line. So, it, it always, like, pulls from the la- like the end of the line kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, it, it always pulls from the end of the line, so you have to play cards in that order. Now, does it have to be the order that, like, does your hand have to be laid down in the same order as when you played that card? Um, yes. You cannot change the order of is the cards. Is that just a thing in your hand? You can't ever change the order of your cards? No. That's not a thing in Magic. That is a thing that's specified on oh, the card. Oh, I see. Okay, well... Your, your hand turns into a program and it's sort of executing commands in order. Um, and every time you draw a card, you can place it anywhere in that mm. order. Now... Are you going to so, throw a recursive loop in there just for the shit of it? I mean, I want to, but they don't give you the Damn. option. Yeah. 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 Well, good. Glad you guys had fun with that one. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's good uh, all time. Anybody else had anything they want to add for their weeks? Well, I guess one final thing. I read a really cool comic called The Wicked and the Divine, and I liked it. It's good stuff. You know, people who often are wicked and divine have uh, cursed lives or 
half-lives, if you will. Indeed, indeed. Well, let's get to it then. Uh, this week's topic is Half-Life, the awesome series by Valve. Um, and I think to kick things off, it might be good if we just go around, see who's familiar with the franchise and to what degree. So let's start off with you, Adam. Tell me, what is your status on Half-Life? Out of the three of us, you picked the worst person to start with. Yeah. All right. So no, I don't know. Big, Actually, big no confession time. Uh, never have played Half Life. No. Oh damn. All right. So wait then. Are you worried about spoilers then? Uh, I personally, I don't care. Audience members, um, just so you know, we're probably gonna talk pretty openly spoilers. about Half Life here. So if you audience member, if you haven't played Half Life and are like, oh no, spoilers, turn back now. Or if you've already played it, if you've already played it. Or don't care, keep listening. There's my public PSA. So, it's not that I've never booted up the game. Um, I have played a little bit of the... I think about the first quarter of Half-Life 1. Uh, I played some section... Some bit of uh, a place called Ravenholm in Half-Life 2, I think. And that's about mm. it. Um, and it was never out of any, like, you know, disinterest in the series. It was that when Half-Life was really big... I really wasn't into PC gaming. Um, so to kind of give an example, uh, Half-Life 1 came out in 1998. Um, I did not have a PC. I didn't have a gaming PC or our family didn't really have a desktop that we used for like games. It was more for work. I had like, you know, an N64 or a PS... I think, I think an N64 had just come out though. So I was more console and like Game Boy stuff. So I just kind of never got into Half-Life. Um, and by the time I actually started playing PC games... Uh, Half-Life was pretty old at that point, um, yeah. and it was kind of, I think I've mentioned on, the on earlier on the podcast, being kind of into shooters is kind of still kind of a new thing for me, because back in the day, I really wasn't into shooters, so you have a game that's on PC for a system I don't play, that is in a genre I just didn't care about at the time, so it's like, oh, play this game called Half-Life, like, no, thank you, yeah. um, but I've had a ton of friends who just swear by this, and it seems like anywhere in the gaming world, you go, somebody will tell you something about Half-Life. So, quick, somebody else tell us about your experience with Half-Life. Right, I, th I think I'll go with mine, because I think I have the second most experience here. So I I have never played, nor have I even touched the first Half-Life. Um, you can... And, yeah, yeah. You can already the time hear it came out, Drew, like, losing his shit. Yeah, I know, he's, he's losing his mind over there. But, uh, he's... So, the thing is, is that around the time that it came out is around the time that I got into StarCraft, and that sucked out... <laughs> a lot of my time so like so when i i could have gotten into half-life but instead i played starcraft mm. um and but when half-life 2 came out i got it with the orange the orange box yeah the orange box yeah so i got it with the orange box with tf2 um and i mostly got that box for tf2 which i played a lot of honestly like i've got a lot of use out of all the orange box games but uh so i got half-life 2 with it and i played all all the way through half-life 2 and i found it enjoyable but by the end of it i was like this game feels kind of clever, but I don't know what the fuss is all yeah. about. Uh, hold on one second, because I'm trying to remember if the orange box had Half-Life 2 or Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and 2 or something like that. From what I remember, it was Half-Life 2, Episode 1, Episode 2, Portal, and TF2. Some may call that a like, humble bundle. Oh, God. Um, so, 
That's kind of funny. It's kind of funny because I, I remember I got the orange box and I didn't expect to play Portal, but then I played Portal. And I didn't expect to play Half-Life 2, but then I played Half-Life 2. And I was like, I bought this for TF2, but all these other games came with it. <laughs> I played a tiny bit of the episodes. Um, I, I, I like I got to the end of Half-Life 2 and I was like, oh, that was pretty good. I'll try the episodes. And I got like, partly into the episodes. I was like, nah, I don't like can this. Can I ask a question? And I think this is kind of where we'll transfer over to Drew in his experience because I feel mm-hmm. he'll know. Drew, you have to explain to me how the hell Half-Life 1, 2, Episode 1, Episode 2 work. Are they all just a sequence, or what? Uh, sure. Okay, so it's time for Drew's history lesson on Half-Life. So, Half-Life 1 is obviously the first game in the sequence. Uh, it's actually all chronological. There's no, like, prequel, sequel, what a hoots it. Uh, there are spin-off episodes that are non-consequential, but, you know, I'll, I'll mention it when we get there. Um, so, there's Half-Life 1, which is you, Gordon Freeman, kicking it at Black Mesa. Um, you know, famous beginning. A An experiment goes awry, and suddenly there's all these aliens popping around. There's portals to another world. It's it's some craziness, some goofy some goofy times, and you you are attempting to escape. At the tail end of that game, you get picked up by this guy, the G-Man. He is the mysterious figure kind of working between worlds, kind of off to the side, watching what you're doing and kind of taking notes. Um, He picks you out from sort of this final section of the game you're in, uh, where you actually go to the alien Combine's homeworld and, like, take down this giant creature that's, you know, sort of a part of what's going on with, like, the grander, like, oh no, aliens, bad stuff situation. Um, after that, after that, we start Half-Life 2, which is you, Gordon Freeman, appearing back in the world approximately 10, 15 years later. Uh, the Combine have completely taken over. They have created this, like, suppression field that prevents humanity from breeding, and so, you know... Humanity's on its last leg, everyone's older, uh, there are no new generation coming in, um, a good chunk of people who are resisting this sort of, like, 1984, um, Big Brother setup they have going, uh, you know, they're, like, fighting back, but it's not exactly a winning battle, um, and so you pick up, you know, the reins as Gordon again, and you get reintroduced to the world, and you kind of go on this long road trip of a mission, to try and like help the resistance out to take down the uh kind of like figurehead dr breen and you know by the end of that game you know you kind of have a big final confrontation you do this whole like rising man to the challenge thing and there's a big explosion time stops and the g-man pops up again and picks you out and throws you back in a little bit later um actually no the vort's save you from uh the g-man it's kind of confusing now see this whole like condensed story thing is kind of what always got me about half-life because there's always like this super like like super like expansive lore and stuff like that but it's always like man this series actually seems really goofy as well the the series seems both really goofy and frankly like the plot itself is very simple hold on to your hats kids because like we're, we're, we're not done yet we're now we get to episode one right and episode one you know you get reunited with this character Alex Vance you end up kind of like being doing this like ground mission trying to just like get your footing after the citadel the tower that you were just working to take down is sort of like obliterated um it's a whole bunch of confusion and 
at the tail end of that one, you end up helping some refugees out to this one, you know, rebel base. I think it's in like White Forest or something. Um, episode N one ends with you on a train, popping your way out. Uh, two picks up from there. It's again another ground war of you trying to get to the base. You have this data packet. It includes vital information to help take down the suppression field uh, that has been kind of preventing humanity from, you know, getting it on and making the babies. And... And that's episode two. Uh, it ends on a bit of a downer. You get the suppression field down, you shoot a rocket into the sky, but a beloved character ends up dying and it's kind of crushing and sad. But it's okay because you had a really cool like dune buggy car hybrid thing throughout most of the game. Uh, that was fun. I liked that part before it broke my heart terribly. I I do remember watching my buddy play that, and I remember an inordinate amount of time him being in that dune buggy. It's like, is it a driving game? I thought it was a shooter. Yeah, they had they have they have an extensive boating segment yeah. in Half Life too. So I was just gonna say, uh, we've kind of we've seemed to have kind of drifted into our second question of you know, so Drew and you've you've played all of the Half Life games. Well, I've. I've played a good chunk of them. Like I played one. Uh, I don't think I beat one all the way through. I think my brother might have might have kept kept that one off just because you know different different times and whatnot. Um, I definitely played two. Um, played episode one. Played episode two. Loved them to death. Um, believe I played Blue Shift, which is uh, Half Life episode or Half Life one, but from the perspective of a security guard. And then there's Opposing Forces, which is um, Half-Life 1 from the perspective of one of the FBI secret, secret agency guys going in to sort of stop the crazy explosion thing from happening. So, oh, also technically Lost Coast, but that was more of a tech demo for some of the cool stuff they were trying to play with in the, in the coming episodes. But a good chunk of them. Pretty much, I'm pretty caught up on the lore and the the mods and whatnot see the thing is like i kind of i i think i i feel like a lot of the the strengths of half-life is is in their sort of like willingness to do like interesting mechanical quirks mm -hmm. like physics puzzles seem to be a really massive aspect and like they, they get creative with their gameplay that's something that i've always thought was really interesting yeah. i i never thought they had particularly like great lore i'm sure they must have really well written stuff but the like text of the game itself especially with half-life 2 is just sort of this almost boring sort of like drive-by shooter it's got some interesting aspects to it it's not a drive-by shooter sorry not drive-by shooter um i like what i mean is is that like you sort of it's sort of just moved from point a to point b to point c to point d it's it's a very like corridor shooter mm -hmm. um and they have a lot of interesting mechanics that go along with that um and they have a, they have an interesting enemies they have an interesting uh they, they have interesting like enemy design but none of the enemies felt s strongly differentiated mm. like there, there's maybe uh what is that so there's the regular combine soldiers there's the the zombies with the the face huggers mm -hmm. and then i'm trying to think of like the other major enemy type in that game yeah the ant lions and the drones go. okay drones right there's a certain style in that there's like one enemy type and it doesn't but it doesn't feel like say like how a Dark Souls will reuse the same enemy type in a different sort of environment to make you replay your strategy. I found myself reusing a lot of what I had done previously to deal with a particular threat to deal with this new threat. Mm. Um, the 
the major exception to that being Ravenholm, which was a very, very well designed level. That was a very good yeah. like. By break. the way, I was just gonna say um, to kind of quickly clear it up. Uh, I think we've pretty much pretty solidly moved on to the second question we had, which was yeah. uh, what because we were talking about experiences, and then I noticed Zach, then Zach went off to talk about gameplay. But so uh, mm-hmm. our second question was, uh, what would you consider half uh, to be Half Life's greatest strength? While I don't think there's a lot of like enemy types, what they do with the enemy types tends to be okay. Although again, like with lions and a few other things, I I don't know. It's just like I got to the, through to the end of the game and I didn't find it. I didn't find it, it that interesting. So, I just sorry, couldn't just feel to, engaged with the just game. To check. So you're saying because you didn't really do much or weren't feeling engaged, you didn't feel engaged with like the story or the gameplay. So do you think like neither of those are are the series of strengths? Or I guess I kind of got lost yeah, in your explanation. Like, I think. Um, I think their willingness to try new and interesting things is probably the strength of the series. Mm. Um, like, they do lots of things that you would normally, you would never really expect to see in a shooter, or, like, I bet at the time you wouldn't expect to see in a shooter. Um, well, and, like, they gave you things like the gravity gun and, and a couple yeah. of other things that are, that are really interesting. And again, Ravenholm was really well and interestingly designed. I just, those sections of that game I remember most are the ones where I was just sitting there shooting at Combine Soldiers. Mm. I was gonna say, uh... Drew, would you would you say that I, for you the half slice greatest strength is its story? Because you seem to really like the story a lot. You know, I I really like the story. Um, I really like what they do again with that brand of sci-fi because I I don't really see it a lot these days. It seems like you know not not to knock what we got these days, but it seems like sci-fi has gone more in a bit of a uh, like a Star Wars kind of Guardians of the Galaxy big operatic skies skies the limit kind of situation. And I think there is something to be said about, you know, this sort of, like, grounded in, like, semi-BS science realm. Um, And again, like, 1984, really like that book. Uh, Really like seeing Dr. Breen kind of trying to, like, tell humanity how to act in a nice, grossly smiley way. Um, I think when it comes to the greatest strength of the franchise, though, it's, it's got a little bit more to do with just the execution, right? Like... Half-Life 2 and, you know, the pre, like, the episodes after it, just, they feel so, like, they feel continuous, and it really felt like this, like, lived-in world, this, like, very, like, interesting place to be, and, like, the the pacing they have, the, the little story beats, all these tiny things that happen throughout the game, you know, from, like, you know, getting a hug from, like, Alex to, like, seeing these, like, copters go over you to, like, kind of, like, doing those slow moments where you're out on the coast, like, trying to, like, piece together how to get this one tiny puzzle to get, like, to move forward. Like, it's really good at just executing this, like, uh, I don't know how to put it, like, story, but, like, it's not just story, it's just sort of the execution, you know? That's, like, it's, it just feels very, it feels very, very well structured, and it feels like the people working on it really cared about yeah. what mm-hmm. they were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those like little moments, kind of here and there. In in so many words, yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that was one thing for me that, that really surprised me. Like especially going back when I played a little bit of Half Life One, of how much the story is very much not in your face about anything. It's very, it's kind of always kind of happening in the background, and you can go see it if you want, kind of deal. Um, yeah, very little. Again, this is just kind of from secondhand knowledge and what bit I've played of Half-Life 1. Um, I guess to me, I always thought like Half-Life's great strength was kind of its story. And I'll get to its gameplay in a second. But its story always struck me as interesting in that 
Uh, Half-Life 1 starts not with, like, some big, like, exposition of what's happening, but you're just on a train going through Freeman Gordon's, like, office, like, to where he's going to work. And it's like a five-minute section of you just kind of sitting there. And it sounds boring, but it, it's actually really good at, like, ingraining you in the world because there... It's just like the normal everyday thing that's happening. Like there's safety alarms going off like, hey, make sure you don't do this. And as you're taking this train, you actually see a bunch of the set pieces that will show up later. And I thought that was cool. Um, And then I remember, and Drew will have to correct me on this. I think there's like a bunch of doctors and police officers you kind of just stumble into and talk with. And they can die or not. But they're just kind of like a companion for a while. So you kind of get this feeling like, Oh, man, I'm trying to save all these survivors, but, you know, everybody else keeps dying around me. Uh, I don't know if they kept that up with the rest of the series or if that was just Half-Life yeah, 1. Yeah, no, that, that, uh, mm. that does show up again, yeah. actually, uh, in 2 and definitely in Episode yeah. 2 and as that, well. Yeah. That was the thing that struck me, is just, like, all of these things, um, as Drew pointed out, from, like, it feels like a real lived-in world, is even from just the bit of Half-Life 1 I played, every, every beat felt very natural as it just kind of went into itself. Like, you know... You're in the experiment chamber, and it kind of flows naturally into the offices, which flows naturally into the ventilation area, which gets you into the sewers and all that, you know, stuff. And it just, it felt very easy and flew and flows really well. Um, and I remember mm-hmm. sometimes watching my buddy play through the game, um, my buddy Josh play through this game. It was interesting to see how that just seemed to be one of the series of strengths of, you know, its story was very not in your face, but also how the world felt real and you kind of just kept going. Um, and then to Zach's thing, I do think one of its great strengths is that it, it just seems to want to throw a whole bunch of new things at you all the time. Uh, and, and like all yeah. the new sections, like the driving and boat. Um, I think Half-Life 1... Oh, sorry. Uh, Half-Life 1 was one of the first games to implement like realistic physics puzzles. And you have to remember in 1998, that right, was kind of yeah. a big deal. Uh, it's also one of the first games, or at least the first shooters, to have... Uh, a very co- cohesive story because uh, I think at the time like Doom and Wolfenstein and Quake were like kind of the dominating shooters and those don't really have stories but Half-Life had this like you played as a character and you were kind of going through this whole thing. I don't know. I think I was sort of out of the experience. Like I, I didn't feel like I got into the experience that much mm-hmm. because it I, like, I think I've been trained by certain stories to be like, oh, yeah, you're in the heroic archetype. You don't feel vulnerable because the game treats you like a hero. Mm. Um, and uh, for instance, like, I believe I played Halo before I played Half-Life 2. and I, I'm almost positive I did. Um, and so, like, I had already gotten used to, like, you. oh, you run into some soldiers who help you out. And that happened a bunch in Half-Life 2. And so I was just like, oh, that's just a normal thing. Yeah. Um, but remember, like, and so I think, Half-Life would have been one of the first ones to do that before Halo kind of thing. So you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you're kind of like know. experiencing a game that took elements and then experiencing later the thing it took elements from. So Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think I had that sense of history to it. And so I don't think I, I really felt any room. Like, I didn't, I didn't really maybe not like appreciate it as much as it should have been but just kind of like like i had already experienced something that had used that thing afterwards yeah. and so then i come over to it and i'm like oh it's another driving segment okay i've done this before that's, um, that's kind of how i was as well um again this is this comes more from me mm-hmm. not re- being into pc gaming and then like later everybody saying go play half-life and then what i did play it what kind of took me out of it is like well it's kind of old and this isn't to knock old games it's just kind of like I almost feel like I missed the train to get on board the hype. Ah, it's thematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Drew, 
if you if you were like really liked two and then like played all the other ones, um, you were kind of like squarely on that train to like kind of love the thing. I, I found that you know people who start with two will eventually just kind of like like that series, and people who start with one end up staying with it as well. But I feel like at least maybe for me, and it sounds a little bit for Zach, we kind of missed the hype train for it. And by the time we came back around to it, it was like, well, I've kind of seen all of this stuff, so I don't quite get it. And maybe that's kind of the problem with yeah. Half-Life for me, is that, like, uh, you know, you could talk to people about, like, oh, man, when's Half-Life 3? And it's like, oh, yeah, when is Half-Life 3? I don't, but I don't care kind of thing, because I just wasn't... It seems like you had to be there kind of deal. I... I can see that. I, I'd recommend giving them a look, at least the episodes. Like, the episodes are great, and they've got some really good endings packed in. I mean, yeah. I mean, trying to trying to sell me on episodes one and two by telling me, by saying its ending is really good is interesting. Speaking of interesting things, you know what's also interesting? Fond, fond memories. <laughs> uh, I, no, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, I might have, like, mixed opinions about Half-Life 2, but, like, it's openness to mods, and sorry, this is going to get into fondest memory because they were mentioning fan mods, but like it's it's openness to the modding community was was something spectacular, oh, dude, like, amazing. My fondest memory probably comes from Gary's mod, which is obviously a mod of Half Life yeah. Two. I was going to say fondest so memories. Cool. If we're talking mods uh, in the context of fondest memories, dude, you wouldn't have Counter Strike without Half Life, and Counter Strike's like oh, yeah. a big That's thing. True. Fond memories. There's Half Life. I mean, I like this. And then there's like fond memories of Half Life. Well, Counter Strike was pretty good. Ah. And I mean, the the and Half Life Two was made out of the Source Engine, and the Source Engine is is, is the base for a lot of games, mm. um, like Tain Fortress Two, Portal, um, Gary's Mod, Source Filmmaker, and stuff like that. Right, Source Filmmaker. Didn't ha- yeah, yeah. didn't Left for Dead start off as a Half Life mod, and then that spun off into I, its own series? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know what? It just this kind of just clicked for me. All of Valve's big things have been like mods of their own source, like Left 4 Dead, well, Portal, CF2. It's like, what? except Dota well, 2. Yeah, except Dota 2. But you get what I'm saying? Is like the things that, well, I guess except for Dota, everything else seems to be like, we made a mod off your cool thing. Cool. Let's give that to us and we'll make that in the new series and then stop it after two. Right. Yeah. They have an issue with getting the three. Do you think Gabe Newell knows how to count to three? I don't know. It's, it's hard to. It's hard to know. But we'll get back on track real quick. Well, I guess I guess experiencing mods through Half-Life or because of Half-Life, it, it can be a fondest memory. But I think when Drew wrote this question, it was a particular like, fond memory about the Half-Life series. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a fond memory, though. So oh, this comes from watching my buddy uh, Josh in my freshman year of college mm-hmm. play through a good portion of Half-Life. Um, he was really into... And this is not just Half-Life 1. This is all of Half-Life. Uh, there was about a, I don't know what triggered this, but he suddenly said, I'm going to play through all of the Half-Life games again. And I said, cool. Uh, when I'm not done, when I'm not like dying from studying, maybe I'll come and check it out. This was during the freshman Mm -hmm. year of college where I was like, I have to be hitting the books real hard. So whenever Mm -hmm. I had a, so whenever I had a free moment, I would walk over, uh, literally across the hall and be like, Hey Josh, what you playing? Oh, you're playing Half-Life. So I, I have seen bits and pieces I remember one particular sequence, um, I think it was in Half-Life 1, I think you're fighting the giant plant boss thing, or- What? There's like a green tentacle thing in Half-Life- There's a green tentacle monster in Half-Life. In Half-Life 1, or something like that. It's got these giant pincers and stuff, and it's just like going nuts, and I remember it scaring him pretty bad. Oh my god. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That was the other section I happened to walk in about. Uh, somebody else can explain Ravenholm, but I do remember him- being 
literally spooked most to- most like, of that section. Admittedly, the part of Half Life that uh, I am most fond of is Ravenholm. Mm-hmm. That is, it is very well designed. Um, it took me a while to figure out the circular saws, but once I did, it turned it it switched the game for me. <laughs> it it went from oh no, scary zombies to <laughs> can you explain Ravenholm for us? I would us? love to, Adam. <laughs> So Ravenholm is the part of Half-Life 2 where they decide to go all grimdark horror on you. Um, There's this part in the game where you're kind of up at this base, kind of like learning who people are and finding out what the gravity gun is. And there's this section off to the side that if you look at uh, the character who's kind of guiding you around says, oh, that leads to Ravenholm. We don't go there anymore. You know, nice and ominous. So, you know, you will eventually end up going there. And when you do, it is this town that has been affected by these... There are these creatures called headcrabs. And they effectively, like, latch onto your body and turn you into these walking zombies. And, you know, like, kudos to the game for just calling them zombies and, like, nothing else weird like that. That always... That always upsets me. You know, like, it's they're just zombies. People call them zombies. That's what it is. They're walkers. Uh, they're the lost. <laughs> they're, uh, I, uh. By yeah. the way, I have a I have a quick question. Why the fuck are there so many buzzsaws around Ravenholm? Was it a lumber town? I, yeah. I don't know. I was always just a little confused by Wasn't, that. Didn't Half-Life, uh, parts of Half-Life 2 take place in like a big forested area? So it makes sense if you're in like a lumber town or something like that. Yeah. All right. All right also, yeah. it looks cool. That's number rule number one. It, it looks cool and it serves a very good function in the game. It is... You know, again, like, big ominous place, lots of fire, dead bodies everywhere, screaming, uh, giant, howling, evil things all around you. And it also is the first place where you get to play with the gravity gun in the combat setting. So there are buzzsaws, there are, you know, flaming barrels everywhere, and you're just picking things up and shooting them out real fast. And it's just, like, it's this very interesting part of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, like... They make the zombies scary, and then they give you the circular saw, and you're just like, well, they're not scary anymore. Well, hey, no, no, don't don't discount the howling crazy guys, the howling guys that come swarming at you super fast. Those guys freaked me out as a kid. Listen, my dude. Listen, my dude. I already played against the fucking flood. I I am immune to the howl scare. <laughs> well, well, that's nice for you. I I was not, and I remember it fondly. But you know, that's that's what it is for me. Well, cool. Any other fond moments, memories that we can think of uh, before we move on to our last question? I um, I mean, I I have a lot of fond memories, and I feel like with story moments, like those are, they're all very great. Again, I love the pacing. I love the way the game is set up. Um, I will say that there is this one moment in the game that I love mostly just for the gameplay elements, the way it's set up. Um. And there's this part where there is this crumbling bridge and you sort of have to go across the like the steel beams, the rafters that were keeping it up in order to progress through the game. You have to get to this like one little alcove, you need to hit a switch and then like slowly work your way back. And it's great because it's a slow moment. It's incredibly tense. You know, there's enemies all there's like not a ton of enemies but enough to keep you like on your toes you have to be very careful about the way you crouch jump and navigate it's just this weird moment of like high stress and like if you're just very calm and very patient things work out but it's also just like you know this really good like i don't want to say cinematic but it just this very imposing moment of the game where like you you have to navigate it in a very particular manner and if you're not careful you 
go plummeting, falling to your doom. And there's something about that that I just, I, I really liked. Like, just, like, oh no, if I do this wrong, I will fall and just be deleted from existence. It's, it's craziness. You know who else, de- you know what else got deleted off the face of the earth? Half-Life 3. Damn. There's my, yeah. there's my hot take on thoughts on the games of the future. Yeah, but it's. Now, now that we're pretty sure it's never coming back, what would you do if you could make oh, it? Oh, okay. Uh, I just want to throw this out there for people who are unawares on Half-Life 3. Um, the reason people are thinking it's dead is, one, uh, still not out, and they Valve seems to make no word of it coming out. They keep teasing it, but they never actually release nothing about it. Two, most of the staff that were known for the original like set of games have left including the lead writer, who then, who promptly leaked the proposed script for Half-Life 3, and gosh, that sounds oddly accurate to what was planned, so you can kind of just read that and, and go. I mean, I, I know it's against the joke, but, like, honestly, I, I'd rather have nothing than have it, like, be kind of, like, half done, and at this point, like... That game would have, that game would have to come out, be 10 on 10 at all times and cure like 12 diseases before people will be excited and say that was worth the wait. Yeah. Well, I mean, I almost feel like you can't release Half-Life 3 cuz like the hype is just too big around it. Like well, one thing I know one thing about Valve is that um I remember, so they're very free form with how their teams are set up and it's kind of like if you want to work mm-hmm. on a team you kind of apply to that team and uh, like, so you get hired and then you kind of get mingled around to different teams to work on what you want to work on, which is a good idea. But I think they also like their pay structure was based on performance of the game. So everybody kind of just like huddles around the game that's already doing well. And so you end up not going for like the, I feel like Half-Life 3 is almost a gamble at that point of like, oh, it may not do well and I want to be paid well. I'll go work on Dota and make more hats. Do they really... Did they really do? I remember. Fucking... I remember hearing a, a, a reading an article about that. About like that's how they okay. pay out bonuses and stuff of like how their game is performing. Okay. Uh, you know, but we we're three geniuses. We could make it. Let's make Half Life Three in our design club. Hooray! Beautiful. All right, folks. This week on Design Club, we are going to design the third chapter, the final round of Half-Life. Will you do a Half-Life 3 full episode? A Half-Life 3 full game? How do you finish off and conclude the series? Okay, check it. Check it, my dudes. Yeah, y'all ever hear of this game called Vanquish? Made by Platinum? It's your, like, rocket, like, roadie skating, uh, skating all over the place. It's high-speed uh, uh-huh. jetpacking. Dual wielding guns all the time. That's how I want Half Life Three to go down. Fuck all this sci fi um, nonsense. We in for the action now. Gravity like okay, slingshot well, around. Mm. I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree with that. I think I. I think I would. I think it'd be better to move to continue the series in the direction it's already been going. You're right. Con- and sort of like continue the use it, use it as a zone to test out different sorts of uh, mm-hmm. interesting and esoteric ways in which you can play the shooter. No, that sounds fucking lame. Let's just go in Call of Duty style. I just oh, sold 13 well, billion oh. copies. Okay. I guess that's uh, But no, for reals. Um, um, I think there's a lot of like interesting systems that go into the Half-Life games. I think it'd be interesting to sort of continue that. Honestly, I, I don't want to say open world, but I do want to say like giving you... Uh, basically setting up fights in such a way that like you're just given a bunch of tools and then they drop a bunch of fun goodies on the in the battlefield mm-hmm. and have fun, do what you want. Basically like... Maybe, like, they give you a gravity gun, 
and they give you the physics stuff and maybe they give you another interesting gun that say um you know can move pieces of terrain or something Mm -hmm. and so now you can reshape a battlefield as you're fighting in it i can kind of see that working if it's kind of like uh because ravenholm and and like the place that you're in are are like human settlements and i could kind of see it if Mm -hmm. if like gordon ends up in this area where there's a bunch of these different human like settlements here and there and they're all kind of fighting their own battles and you kind of bounce around from one to the other kind of helping the people there um I'd almost right. feel like you, you'd get into like a kind of Skyrim situation or like an Elder Scrolls thing where you're kind of like, there's like the main objectives kind of thing. Um, but I worry that a game like that could get also bogged down with like, Half-Life is a game that's very much focused on its story. And the thing with Skyrim is that occasionally like its main thread can get lost in all of the side stuff you do. Well, that's that's why I say like not open world. I do want it to stay as a linear game. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that like, just give you more interesting tools mm-hmm. Um, almost the way, sort of like how, uh, like a Minecraft and Starbound, probably Starbound is probably the better example, where you can sort of like shape terrain a bit, mm-hmm. just give you maybe like a shape terrain tool. Um, I can see that. And lets you just sort of go to town with that. Um, just basically like find interesting ways in which you as a first person player can interact with the world around you and try to integrate that into the sort of standard shooter that, that the Half-Life series creates. Mm um also probably continuing cool story bits <laughs> like cool story bits that i will miss when i play it <laughs> do you want to throw in here drew mm. i do i do want to throw in here um so half-life 2 episode 2 ends on a pretty dark note and it implies that you're going to end up going to this sort of like walled off facility that is it's heavily implied that it's tied to Aperture Science and kind of the Portal universe. Um, there are lots of little Easter eggs that kind of insinuate that, yes, these two games are linked, these two game worlds are linked, and from a mechanical standpoint, giving Gordon the gravity gun with the Portal gun seems like a pretty safe mm. bet. Wasn't it something like the Aperture Science was the competitor group of Black Mesa kind of deal? Yeah, I thought that was that was confirmed in like Portal 1. I was going to say, it always felt very natural to me, at least to me, that if they ever did a Half-Life 3, that Gordon would eventually end up with the portal gun at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. They could do uh, they could do one chapter Shell, one chapter Gordon, one chapter Shell, mm-hmm. one chapter Gordon. Come on, uh, come on, maybe come on. I, you know, um, you know, you know you love it. You know I, you love I don't, it. Come I, on. If you were to do something like that, I actually think, at least for me, I would want it to be, because... This is kind of go off of what Drew's saying. I think, I feel like Valve really were planning at some point for those two worlds or storylines to meet in Half-Life 3. But I think the, Mm. but I think the thing is, is that like the player that would want Half-Life, how do I put this? If there, if the plan was for both of them to merge, I feel like the player base for both those games is kind of different. Where if you're a fan of Portal, you may not be, you may have liked Portal because it's more cerebral kind of thought and not like action kind of thing and then maybe possibly for half-life you were like ah you know i like half-life but i wasn't really so hot in portal i feel like i wonder if one of the conflicts of half-life 3 ever coming out was them trying to merge these two so that players from both sides would actually like it and i think the only way you'd have to do it is to like basically build two totally different campaigns that like run parallel with each other that like crisscross at times i mean i i 
part of what I really like about Half-Life is the fact that it has that continuous world and that continuous storytelling and flipping between characters I feel would really break that like I I've been burnt on like character flipping before like Devil May Cry 4 as you know Adam like does that whole like now you're playing as this guy thing and like I don't like that I'd rather have that consistent character or if there is a narrative switch it's like a very direct thing I I I don't I don't mm-hmm. think I would like Half-Life if it was, like, yeah. trying to jazz it up mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. kind of way, you know? But it worked so well in the Halo 2. Uh, that's just kind of what I was going to say is, that, like, for, for, for this supposed Half-Life 3 one, I feel like you'd have to do, like, an entire game all with Gordon and an entire game all with Chell, but then have their stories, like, crisscross. Uh, not not that the gameplay would, would change. Like, if you were to play Gordon, you're always playing Gordon, but there would be times where you interact with Chell. Uh, and, vi- mm-hmm. and vice versa kind of thing um and i could see there you know being things like oh hey um you know make some decision here and it impacts this other thing here wait oh man sorry co-op campaign one person plays gordon one person uh, plays Shell. No. no i don't think that would work not, not no. required just like as well, an extra thing the i was even campaign thinking that is... but then i remember that portal 2 had mm-hmm. co-op and portal 2's uh co-op campaign is also its own storyline kind of deal you know i if Half-Life 3 were to come, I would, like, I I have my version of it. I have what I would want it to be. Uh, it's more about it being complete and feeling like a good ending and feeling like it's something that people cared about. Uh, I'd, I'd want it to be a full game. I think the episode system just doesn't really work unless there's, like, a real budget constraint. And it's, like, again, like some kind of weird send-off love leather that somehow Valve decides to make after years of living off of steam money um and i again i love the narrative i love the mechanics of that game i think the best way to do it at this point is to just double down on what made the original games really good and just have a really sharp focused final experience you know what i mean like you know cash in on some of the fan theories cash in on some of the loose plot threads and just sort of like go out go out with something that they're proud of um i don't want any sequeling just like a good cap off i i think that's what people want i think that's what would make me happy just you know for the sake of a fan who wants to see a good conclusion um not that the one they have now is terrible it just ends in a very dark manner which you know might be theme appropriate given the type of sci-fi that half-life is but it's also right, very obvious yeah. that yeah, they yeah, meant to keep yeah. going i don't know i, I guess mm. for me if i were plan- planning a half-life 3 i would kind of plan the same a very similar thing of what drew is proposing of kind of like you know finally have these two very clearly made to be combined worlds portal always did feel like a spin-off of half-life so half-life would have to be like the root thing that you're following and then you could branch off and be like oh hey look there's shell doing a thing come back well, to the side story and you can play as the shell doing that mission well wait a second we could do you could do it like this you could have you have a half-life three and then you have a half-life three episode one half-life three episode two half-life three episode three yeah we saw how well that worked where you out. play a shell instead i mean we'll never get to that half-life three episode three play a shell yeah. but you know there's there's hope there's dreams dreams yeah. beautiful dreams i guess i guess we're kind of done with the design club because we are kind of treading over yeah. the same things uh, if we're doing toast and parts, I will also have a toast to whoever the hell made Half-Life, Full Life, 
Consequences. Yes. Uh, Toast indeed. Uh, uh, have you also seen it's... Quarter Life? Halfway to Distraction. I have. I saw advertisements oh, it's for so it. Good. Yeah, that's actually one thing I like about Half Life the most is that boy, some of these fan like goof videos are pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. I love them. Oh yeah. Um, let me think. Is there any other yeah, toast or pour? Outs? I I wanted oh. I wanted to do a toast to Gary's mod. We praised it before, but I'm gonna praise mm-hmm. it again. Yes. Praise be Gary's mod. I guess I'll do a toast. Uh, a toast to the character who dies at the end of episode two. That was pretty brutal. That was pretty rough. I'm a toast to you, my friend. <laughs> Farewell. I have a pour out and toast. Um, actually, do I really have a pour out? No, I think I just have, mostly have toasts. I have a toast to Street Fighter V Arcade Edition. Boy, that's a damn good, that's a damn fine package. I, I actually would highly recommend yeah. this to people. Uh, I have another toast to a movie I forgot to mention I saw in my week called Mary and the Witch's Flower. It's by Studio Ponach, which is the which is a bunch of ex Studio Ghibli people. Well, boy, yep, saw that. Boy, going. you can tell this is ex Studio Ghibli people. This it, wow, it's really good. Uh, look for it. Yeah, look for it elsewhere. Yeah, and yeah. a pour out for me on Friday because I don't know what I'm gonna do. All right, I got my pour out. I got a pour out. For the uh, the trial I did in Final Fantasy fourteen just now. Four times we tried, and four times we failed. Oh. And in the end, I had to leave because I needed to record this podcast. Oh, well then this should be a toast. You had to leave that loser squad and come join a group of winners. <laughs> I know, but a pour out for the loser squad. Uh, I, I, got, I got a toast. I would like to take this time to toast to my father. I love you, Dad. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Drew's dad. Happy birthday, Papa D- Papa Drew. Well, I think that's, that sounds like we're done. It sounds like we are, uh, unless we're not. I, I think we are, and I think uh, unless we want to deal with some unforeseen consequences, we might need a, uh, a lesson of the day. Hey there, everybody. It's time now for the lesson of the day. Today's lesson, when you're going to do something important, make sure you prepare yourself for it first. And not go in there blind. And that's the lesson of the day. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach. And thank you, listener, for listening to us. If you got any messages for us, like what you heard, have any comments, criticism, or just want to say hi, you can always find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, uh, or you can leave us a message over at teamnitwick at gmail.com. That's team, N-I-T-W-I-C, at gmail.com. This week's music is by Pro Leader, and we're going to be playing Vortical Combat for the outro music, thanks to the wonderful Half-Life soundtrack. Um, stay tuned next week for Bioshock as we continue our month of shooters. It's going to be fun. It's going to be nautical. You're going to love it. Yay! Yay! I'm excited. You sound excited. I'm excited. All right, everybody. Adios! Bye. See ya!